Greetings and welcome back to the DCS One Community Podcast. The intent of this uh, podcast today will be to highlight the incredible work of our DCS Reentry Services Division. As our listeners know, our mission here at DCS is twofold. We like to, uh, of course, protect the communities that we serve, but also provide opportunities for successful outcomes. And uh, no uh, other division or uh, perhaps where the bulk of that works get done rather is for providing successful uh, opportunities for outcomes is the reentry services division. And so today this podcast is going to highlight the incredible work that's being done in that division. We have a great group of participants from our reentry services division. Um, joining us today, we have uh, Director of Reentry Services, Ms. Michelle Stanley. Greetings, Michelle. Greetings. We have our uh, our housing program specialist, Aaron Anderson. Greeting, Aaron. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem. Our projects and services manager, Tamara Middlebrooks. Greetings. Hello, Brian. Thanks. All right. Our operations manager for the east side of the state, Ms. Renee Schnee. Greetings. Hello. Thanks for having us. No problem. And our operations manager for the west side of the state, Ms. Mary Elliott. Hello, everyone. And last but not least, uh, Reggie Kofer, who is the Augusta Circuit Community Coordinator. Greetings, Reggie. Hey, greetings, Brian. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, and thank you all again for foremost for the incredible work that you all do uh, servicing the citizens of this state, as well as the work that you all do to move this department forward. So uh, with that, we're just going to jump into our discussion here uh, with Director Stanley. If you could just kind of describe a general overview of DCS Reentry Services Division, how the division is uh, kind of set up and organized, and just what makes this work of reentry services so critical um, and important and the value this division adds to the department and to the citizens of this state. Thank you, Brian. I'd be happy to. The division delivers successful reentry services to those we serve in the community with the help of our stakeholders and our partners. We also have two operational managers for the, east, for the east and the west side of the state, a projects manager, three statewide reentry coordinators, 17 community coordinators that cover 17 judicial circuits in 41 counties, a reentry housing unit manager, and four housing specialists that cover the state's housing needs, because it's our vision with the staff and the community that every person released from prison will have the tools and support needed to succeed in their community on a positive note and not a deficit. Linkage to resources supports and helps to reduce recidivism and build strong relationships within the community. Some, some of the reentry resources that we like to try and link those individuals with could be anything from housing, employment, education, vocational job training, healthcare services, counseling, mentoring, and of course, food and clothing assistance. What makes our work so critical is that we wanna provide those we serve with not just a second chance, but a better chance to be successful within their communities by supporting them with services that focus on their individual needs to help them transition, reintegrate, and reach their aftercare goals. In addition, when we're able to front load those resources and participate in intake with our officers and refer those individuals for services upon their release, it allows for the implementation of a seamless plan of services through supervision. All those things working together, we feel, is what makes the work that we do so very critical to the state of Georgia. Absolutely. I appreciate that introduction and just kind of a general overview 
um, uh, of, of the great work that you all uh, provide. Um, and as we know, an integral component of reentry is housing. It is a basic element of stability. It's proven to reduce recidivism. So Aaron, being our specialist in that area, um, uh, what programs and initiatives are currently utilized to assist those we supervise um, with their housing needs? Because we know that housing is such a critical component of reentry. It is. Um, the The main initiative that I work with is the Reentry Partnership Housing Program, or RPH. Uh, it's been uh, it's been in effect since two thousand and six, and it's a collaboration between DCS. Uh, the Department of Community Affairs, uh, Department of Corrections, and the Accountability Courts of Georgia. And what RPH does is provide short-term housing assistance to help stabilize an offender's reentry process to enhance their ability to remain crime-free and succeed once they've been released. What RPH does is the funding provided covers the cost of housing and food access for an individual for up to six months, for uh, individuals with a network of pre-approved housing providers throughout the state of Georgia. We currently work with 48 housing providers and we have a few more coming down the pipeline that are going to be approved soon. So we're excited about that. Um, And RPH, it's available not just to individuals who are already out on DCS supervision. Uh, If somebody is on parole or probation and uh, and they are in a situation where they're about to lose their housing uh, or they don't have a, a place to stay. They don't have a stable place to stay. If they let their officer know, the officer reaches out to us and we are able to find an appropriate housing placement for them. Uh, often the the same business day that we get the request. So it's a really helpful resource and mm-hmm. it's, it's critical for an individual who has just gotten out uh, just been released from incarceration. They don't have anything. Uh, they don't have a safe place to stay. They may not uh, have relationships within the community. They may have burned some bridges, uh, not have any employment lined up. And uh, first things first, you have to have a roof over your head. So um, it's yep. it's really important. Um, the RPH is also available for individuals who are currently incarcerated and they're eligible to be released early on parole, but they don't have a stable residence to go to. And so individuals can be placed directly from Department of Corrections and released straight to an RPH program. So instead of maxing out their sentence and then being released potentially to homelessness, uh, they're instead able to be placed with, uh, with an approved housing program that can often help provide wraparound services to uh, enhance somebody's ability to succeed. Uh, The program also, uh, a few years ago, was made available to uh, individuals going through the accountability courts of Georgia, uh, drug treatment courts, veterans courts, family treatment courts, and mental health courts. So uh, we've expanded to work with accountability courts as well, and uh, and we can do placements that way through the RPH program. Um, And Our other main housing initiative is the THOR directory. Uh, THOR stands for Transitional Housing for Offender Reentry. It's an online directory that we maintain uh, of community-based housing options for uh, individuals currently under community supervision. And it's often used by criminal justice professionals, but it's also accessible to the public. Um, 
And there are two types of housing that are listed on this directory, structured housing, where someone doesn't necessarily need any kind of additional programming, uh, just a, a safe place to stay, uh, and recovery residences. And these are these are programs that provide on-site substance abuse treatment, and they must be accredited by a recognized accreditation agency like GAR, CARF, uh, Department of Community Health, or the Joint Commission. Um, THOR programs are self-pay. That's one of the chief differences between THOR and RPH. So, uh, so there isn't funding attached to it, but many of the pro- many of the programs on the Thor directory do offer scholarships or options for deferring payment until they're able to uh, find employment. Um, and so, like RPH, all th- all RPH and Thor providers uh, must complete an application process and pass yearly compliance checks. So we make sure that we are working with programs that meet our standards and uh, and if they provide any treatment services that they they are accredited and do have certified staff uh, and community coordinators are able to connect individuals to permanent housing using rph and thor uh, one last thing that is not something that we run at dcs but i do like to refer people to this service a lot it's called georgia housing search mm-hmm. uh, it's a service run by the department of community affairs and uh it it's a it's an online resource. There's also a toll-free number that you can call where individuals can search for rental properties. And one of the uh, one of the categories that you can uh, narrow down your search with are for properties that don't require a criminal background check. Uh, and that's often one of the biggest challenges the the individuals that we serve face is even if uh, they have the resources to find their own place, they can't necessarily uh, find a property or an apartment or a house to rent uh, because of background check requirements. So it's a really useful resource that I like to refer people to. So anyone can uh, access that by going to georgiahousingsearch.org. Okay. Wow. That's, um, that's a, a lot of great information, um, you know, especially around what's available uh, to the individuals um, under supervision. But switching gears just a little bit, um, how can an interested person or organization uh, become a provider? Um, I know that's kind of becoming a focus um, these days um, as well. So um, how can yeah, how can an interested person or organization become a housing provider? Because th- there is a need um, that needs to be filled. Absolutely. Um, for the RPH program, we hold two application cycles per year, one in spring and one in fall. Uh, mm-hmm. The next application cycle occurs in spring 2021. Uh, so in March, our housing website will be updated with uh, what we call an intent to apply form. So a short form just takes a few minutes to fill out. We just want some basic information about the applicant and uh, what type of program they either have or are trying to put together. And after they submit that form uh, online, uh, interested applicants will be required to attend one training session uh, the next month in April. We offer multiple training sessions and uh, throughout the month and applicants can choose to attend either online or in person. And uh, this is new starting uh Starting just this month, we have a, a new way where applicants can actually submit uh, all of their documents in their application online through Google Classroom so they can do it all electronically. Uh, and so we update our 
housing website with uh, additional information as the new application cycle approaches. Uh, and you can find our website by visiting uh, the DCS website, dcs.georgia.gov. Uh, if you select the reentry services tab, click on housing resources, and then become a provider. Um, also, uh, we do accept Thor applications year-round, and uh, all of that information is also available on the Thor website. And I strongly recommend that any interested applicants or parties review the RPH guidelines, which are posted on our website, uh, because they do provide a very comprehensive review of what the program does, how it operates, uh, what the requirements are for providers, and it can uh it's really good information that I, I strongly encourage anyone to read before uh, going through the application process. Absolutely. Um, a lot of good information there. I kind of want to switch gears again. You know, it's the, the information there is great, but of course, we're here to make a difference in the lives of those um, that we serve. And so, you know, what are there any kind of, I guess, success stories from housing that you could share that will kind of better educate our listeners on um, understanding of how important the work truly is. It's, you know, it's one thing to, you know, we want to be able to get this information in the hands of those who need it, especially providers who partner in our mission. But we want to make, you know, ensure that our listeners um, understand just how uh, impactful on a personal level um, our work is. So if you could just share any success stories um, from housing and feel free to share success stories on successful providers as well. Um, just in case we, you know, have providers out there listening um, who, you know, want to, you know, learn what they have to do to be successful. Oh, definitely. Um, one one story that we really like we uh, we actually every year we hold a uh, a uh, summit with all of our RPH providers. Uh, all of us get together and uh, share information and. Uh, and go over any new policies and procedures and just have some face-to-face -face time. And uh, we received a lot of success stories from our providers at our most recent one. And this is one that was provided to us by Bethesda Recovery, um, a, a substance abuse recovery program for women. Mm -hmm. um, the, the person's initials are CM. We don't want to give out uh, her name, but uh, they said that she entered the Bethesda recovery program with a defeated attitude. I'm, I'm quoting here. Uh, her spoken intent was to finish her time and go back to at least smoking marijuana. Sometime in the first two months, she committed to full recovery and made a plan to maintain employment, become a woman of integrity, and care for her family. After her six months in the RPH program and another six months of treatment, uh, she has returned home to her three children, is attending meetings, and is working as a caregiver to her sister who has special needs. She attributed her change of attitude to being around positive people, volunteering for ministries, and gaining hope, all of which is because she received housing assistance that allowed her to focus on recovery. Uh, and, and that's what's so crucial. If you don't have a stable mm -hmm. residence, then how can then how can an individual do everything else that they need to do as far as getting treatment or finding employment or reconnecting with family? Uh, it all it all starts with with having a safe place to go every night. Um, so I I really liked that story and uh, and you asked about providers and uh, how they have succeeded and improved one one of the providers that we work with serenity house of atlanta um, they've been an rph provider for over 10 years uh, so they've been with the program longer than i have even um, <laughs> but uh, 
one what's enabled them to be so successful is that they have a willingness to provide additional services behind just the or beyond just the housing and food access. Mm-hmm. Um, they they're able to serve a wide variety of clients. Um, they work with local ACT teams. Um, that's assertive community treatment teams uh, who have mobile units to provide mental health services to individuals with severe and persistent mental illness. And so that means that Serenity House is able to treat clientele who have mental health issues and they're able to have the health care providers come to them. That wouldn't have happened if they hadn't made that connection with the local ACT teams, which are, are part of uh, Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities. Um, they also provide transportation and employment referrals to their clients. And over the years, they've expanded uh, to add to their potential client base. They've opened new properties. They originally just served men. Uh, now they have uh, several, now they own several properties uh, that house women. And uh, they've also been able to begin serving sex offenders, which is uh which is probably our biggest need in housing, I think. So right. we are always looking to expand our capacity in that area. Um, another one would be Northeast Georgia Homelands Veterans Shelter in Winder. Uh, they've been with RPH since the program started in 2006, uh, and they specialize in serving veterans, uh, but they also do make beds available for returning citizens, whether or not they have military history. Um they connect veterans with uh, the VA housing voucher program to assist in locating permanent housing beyond the RPH period. And they work with local agencies to offer vocational training, counseling, and life skills. And, and the reason these programs have been so successful and have worked with us for so long is because they're very, very communicative with their local DCS offices and the community supervision officers. Um, so they have a, a holistic approach of offering wraparound services to their clients while working in tandem with us at DCS. Uh, and that's why they have been so successful. And that's why the individuals that they serve have been able to mm-hmm. succeed at what they do. All right. Well, needless to say, that is a lot of uh, valuable information, but it's also very insightful, um, especially when you get you know to the core of our mission. Um, with those success stories and what successful providers actually look like. Um, um, Anybody else want to jump in or have anything to add on what what Aaron had to offer? You did a great job summing that up. Great job, yeah. Fantastic job, Aaron. I I talked a lot, I apologize. (laughs) No no problem. No, you covered a lot of ground, and we'll give you a moment to kind of catch your breath and, uh, you know, maybe get a sip of water or whatnot. But kind of continuing (laughs) on on this topic of of housing it's worthwhile to mention that the efforts of our of our reentry services as well as our field operations um we've taken uh, amazing efforts to reduce the homeless offender population our commissioner even set a goal of having no um homeless offenders and so uh, we know that you all were integral in, into that uh role so mary if you could just kind of you know walk us through uh the goal there of having, you know, of, of making sure that our population has housing provided for them. Absolutely. Um, so one of the main things that we did was create a streamlined referral form and process. Um, the goal and intent of this was to um, develop a consolidated housing referral form. So previously, if someone wanted to request um, housing for an individual under supervision, they would 
almost need to know kind of what kind of housing they were looking for because mm-hmm. they would have to either complete an RPH housing request form or a request for Thor or reach out to a local community coordinator to request housing. So um, these consolidated efforts made it to where there was one single um, point for an individual looking for housing. So if someone wants to request um, housing for someone that they're supervising, they can complete the housing request form and it will go to um, whomever that person is um, eligible for. So for instance, if um, I was looking for housing for someone and they were a mental health four, a level four mental health individual, before that form would, um, it would be RPH and it would kick them out. And they would basically just telling them they weren't eligible for RPH. Now the the form kind of refocuses where they need to go. Um, so if it was, they were ineligible for RPH, then it would kick it to community or Thor housing. Um, so it's no longer just say, hey, your this person isn't eligible for housing, but it sends them to the appropriate person so that someone's always reviewing that request and then directing the individual to um, the housing need that's going to you know, fit them best. Another thing that we did is our community coordinators receive the housing instability report on a monthly basis. So um, we send this out to them. They then work with their local officers to see how they can help assist with finding that individual more stable housing. Um, so we're helping work through all of those. So it's no longer, hey, it's just temporary housing. We're trying to find them permanent and stable housing. Absolutely. I love that collaboration between you know, your division and the field because, you know, that's on the front lines. That's where the work gets done is making sure that, you know, all our officers are equipped uh, with the adequate information that they need. So it's good to know that that partnership um, is there in place. Um, just kind of a follow up. Where can our listeners uh, locate these resources? OK, so recently and by recently, I mean, as <laughs> it was March of this year. So we moved all of our resources into the portal. Um, so they're in our internal um, portal and anyone can go in there and find those. So previously, our resources were in an external site, the PRI reentry resources site. And we worked out of that from um, February 2016 until just now in March when we had everything moved. Um, so having these resources in the portal gives um, our staff a way to have that single point to find things. So if um, we have an officer who's wanting to see um, what do I have as far as um food assistance in my area, they can go into the portal under um, portal apps and then reentry resource providers, and they can search for food assistance in their area. Um, All of our resources are there, like I mentioned, from housing to employment assistance. Um, Everything can be located in that one single point. That also provided for our internal staff, our reentry staff, one area to go to, to enter what's going on with that case. So instead of having, you know, the officer working out of the portal and then reentry staff working in a totally different site, we're all in one so that an officer can go in and see what reentry efforts have been made with an individual under supervision. Um, They can see what referrals we made, when they were made, um, the status of those referrals, if it was successful or not, if for um, some reason it's still pending and why it's pending. And then we also have um, interactions that are, entered by the community coordinator or other reentry staff to show those efforts. So it really gave us a way to kind of connect those together, as you were just mentioning earlier, you know, so that we're working hand in hand with the officer to provide support there. 
Yeah. Brian, I think the other great thing about the, the process and the referral system, as Mary talked about, um, community coordinators um, working with the officers within a circuit, the great thing about the process is that we can also work across the circuits as well. Um, for instance, if you've got somebody who is homeless or um, in, uh, unstable um, in BIB, then you and you have approved for them to go to another circuit. We have the the infrastructure and the extra hands in place, um, right. so that when they're referred or transferred to another circuit, we already have boots on the ground. And a lot of times, they pick up the ball before that person even switches to the other circuit, and they're making plans and preparations. And I'm just trying to do everything that's possible to make sure that that transition is a very smooth one. Yeah, another point to note is that, you know, the community coordinators are not just entering resources for the circuits that they serve. If they're aware of resources in other circuits, those are being entered in as well, um, so that you really can see what we have available statewide. Absolutely. I think that's the perfect segue um, to our community coordinator who's um, on the podcast today, uh, Mr. Reggie Kofer out of Augusta. Um, Reggie, uh, kind of just pick up where uh, Mary and Renee were about the role of the community coordinator. I've, you know, I've heard the role mentioned a few times, but if you could just uh, kind of educate our listeners um, on just kind of describe the role of the community coordinator in all in all of this, especially in regards to reentry services. Okay, sure thing, Brian. And and, and want to say it's a it's a privilege to, a privilege to be here with you all, and it's been a privilege to serve in this role in this capacity for the last few years. And as it's been alluded to, the community coordinator is a multifaceted role. Uh, community coordinators utilize outreach and educational efforts to help those who are formerly incarcerated to have an easier transition. And, and this is done by way of establishing meaningful relationships with stakeholders, all for the purposes of sharing resources with those that we serve. So, so we also educate the, the public and try to help keep reentry at the forefront of people's consciousness. And by doing so, we're fostering engagement and support for our efforts. So, so we're literally champions for reentry, and we serve as the voice for reentry in our local communities. And, and if you don't mind me saying, for, for many in this role, th this is a ministry, if, if you will. Those who operate in this mm -hmm. role are, are, are yeah, they're, they're so passionate about what they do, and they really do uh, love to help others and see people do well. And two major functions of community coordination include capacity building and direct linkage. Now, what is that? Capacity building refers to increasing identified service providers that are willing to work with our target, target population. And direct linkages are when coordinators get directly involved with cases to ensure that that proper service connection takes place. So we're building slash discovering the resources and then we're sharing them. So collaboration, of course, like, like we talked about, that, that's key. It's a key element of community mm -hmm. coordination. As such, uh, us as coordinators, we work closely with steering teams uh, to create a diverse, a diverse network of resource providers in our communities. And we also work closely with the faith communities uh, and nonprofit organizations to, to secure resources as well. So community coordinators use data uh, from assessments to identify the resources needed for those uh, returning from prison. That, that data is incorporated into a comprehensive reentry operational plan, which guides our work uh, that's executed on a daily basis. And we also uh, provide direct support to those local offices, the local DCS offices, and we work within our, within our assigned circuits to develop and maintain relationships 
with service providers and resources. And, and just really quickly, here's something we're really excited about to kind of give you a, a localized, uh, personal feel. Uh, we have a relationship with an employer here uh, in this area, America's Reed Manufacturing Company, and we're extremely pleased with it. This is a relationship that has existed for quite some time, and it's evolved over the years. This employer is committed to the successful reentry of those that we serve, and, and those that we refer to this employer, they're all given consideration, especially those that note that they were referred by us. That, that referral nearly assures that they become employed, granted that the person is ready to contribute and, and ready to work. The, the culture there, mm -hmm. right, the culture there is it's a culture of redemption and acceptance where employees aren't judged by their mistakes, uh, by the mistakes they made, but rather the positive impact that they're willing to make. And the evolution of this relationship has gone from a situation where basically we refer them and they hire them. It's gone now to the point where we're almost become intertwined. This employer visits our office. Uh, they conduct on-site job fairs. The HR manager has spoken at staff meetings. Uh, and they even allow for our community supervision officers to, con to, to conduct necessary business at their site so as not to disrupt uh, production. So it's become a perfect illustration of what community supervision can do. Right? We're putting the emphasis on community. Uh, and this employer has even established a partnership with a local housing provider, and they assist with housing now for employees uh, that present that need. It's a tremendous collaboration. Once again, collaboration is key. And the human, the human resources manager there couldn't be more passionate about what she does. So this this kind of gives you a, a high-level overview of what, what uh, the community coordinator's role is. We're, we're all about community. We're all about collaboration. We're all about coordination and just making making a, a true impact on the agency and, and trying to make it easier for uh, for the officers and just, just kind of just make, making things work and more efficient for the agency. So we're excited about it. Absolutely. Um, you know, being out there, you know, in – in that role, being so immersed into the community, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, rewarding moments as well as challenges. You mentioned this role being sort of a ministry. Just kind of walk us through um, the rewarding part, but also, you know, don't shy away from the challenges. This is hard work. This is um, tough work. Um, you know, what are some of the the challenges that you've experienced, uh, but also some things that have made it worthwhile and rewarding? You know, you know, Brian, you're absolutely right. Um, of course, in, in this job, there, there are many, many rewards, but it's not without challenges. I, I'll start with the rewards. Um, assisting someone in obtaining the resources and tools that they need to be successful, it, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. And it's also very rewarding when someone finds, for example, long-term employment in a field that they're interested in, and this provides them with a way to truly improve their own situation and be successful. We, we love that. But basically helping someone become the best versions of themselves. That's the ultimate reward. Yeah, we, we, we love that. To be able to have a hand in doing that, it means so much because oftentimes we meet people, you know, at some of their lowest points. We, we, you know, we, we don't often meet people on their best days. So to be able to help someone, you know, kind of transform, like I said, into the best version of themselves, that's just a true reward and it's, and it's, a, it's a true blessing. So uh, like we said, it's not without challenges. Uh, some challenges that exist in this role include just identifying providers to meet those specific needs. And, and sex offender housing comes to mind. Within this population that we serve, uh, there are specific sets of barriers that we have to address. And, and those barriers that we encounter on a consistent basis, uh, you know, could be, of, of course, backgrounds and, and all the variables associated with that, uh, transportation issues that, that may be present, and, and even family support or, or the lack thereof. So we, we, we have to traverse a, a number of different you have to tra traverse a very, a very uh, 
broad landscape when it comes to assisting the people that we serve. But um, I, I want I want to highlight one one example if I can, that kind of mm-hmm. illustrates um, the collaboration that we talked about, um, the interagent the, the the inside agency collaboration, if, if you will, um, that shows how things get done. So one example comes to mind. We were partnering with the housing unit, and and shouts out to Aaron on this. We collaborated with an individual um, who was trying to obtain a reentry partnership housing, of course, and he was already in a, with the provider. And this was just at the very beginning, we're in the, and we were in the midst of the of the pandemic. And he was residing at one provider, and he wasn't quite satisfied with the living arrangements, and he wanted to go to a, to a different provider. Through collaboration, uh, through speaking with his family, and collaboration with a, with a, an external provider who was trying to who had a space available, th- thankfully, and also through close collaboration with Aaron, through that collaboration and, coordina- and coordination and execution, we were able to get him approved for another provider. And that provider was willing to even ease their lockdown protocols to allow him to come in. So just that coordination and that uh, concerted collaboration, that that's key. And, and being able to do that and being able to work together, I, I can't say enough about the leadership for this division and for the agency as a whole. And um, there are just some incredibly passionate people uh, in reentry as a whole. And uh, we, we love helping folks. And, and we're certainly looking forward to helping many, many more. And Reggie, if I can jump in for just sure. a second on that uh, that story that you just mentioned uh, about that gentleman, uh, just how appreciative we all are of our community coordinators and what you do, because uh, his case had come to me and we were trying to find uh, another living situation for him. I called you. You worked some kind of magic, <laughs> not magic. That, that's the result of hard wow. work, <laughs> hard work and building relationships and knowing the community. But I, I called you in the morning about his case. And uh, I think just after lunch, uh, you called me back and had uh, and had worked out that arrangement with another housing provider for him. Uh, I can also tell you in talking to officers from the Augusta circuit, uh, they they have been uh, they have had a lot of good things to say about you. I think uh, one of the officers said, "quote I don't know how he does it uh, with uh, with what a great job you do as far as being able to find uh, employment opportunities for individuals and everything else you do." So, uh, just from my personal experience, we are so so grateful to uh, to have the community coordinators, not just awesome. in the housing unit, but also That's in the awesome. field. Um, I appreciate, you know, the passion um, that the community coordinators uh, bring to this department, um, as well as to the communities they serve, um, because they're truly feeling a tremendous need. um, And they're doing it, like you said, they're doing it through uh, hard work, through determination, through just general concern for those that we work with and uh, the individuals uh, that are in our care. Um, You know, and it's so interesting because a lot of times we can get caught up in a lot of these professional settings and roles that, you know, it is easy to lose sight that these are, they are we are a people focused profession and uh, we have hardworking people uh, such as you all out there making a difference in the lives of others. Um, so with that, um, you know, the individuals under our supervision come to us in a lot of different ways. And so Tamara, we're going to uh, switch to you now to walk our listeners through exactly how do you uh, identify those that we work with? It may seem like a very 
general question, but it's one that I think our listeners could, could benefit from. So just kind of walk us through that process. Absolutely. No problem. Um, Reggie mentioned earlier that um, he mentioned the operations plan and our operations plan within reentry services. It pretty much is a document that we use internally to track the work um, that we plan to do. Um, we have certain initiatives that we currently have set out for our division, which focus on employment, um, housing and mental and physical health. And so within that operations plan, we pull what we call um, our pipeline data. And so that's pretty much the releasing population information of the individuals who, be, who will be coming out of the Department of Corrections custody. Um, that releasing population or in-reach scribe report, um, as it's formally called, um, it identifies three specific areas. So it looks at, um, again, the releasing population, breaking down an individual's name, age, race, and different needs that they may have. Um, it identifies services and ser um, resources that they may need upon being released. And it also identifies who, um, what priorities need to be set for those individuals, like on a needs um, level, who should be seen first um, as it relates to their priority level. Community coordinators, they take that pipeline data and they should be reviewing it at least five days prior to in-person um, being released from prison, just so they can do some front-loading work to identify is there anything that they can get a jump on that they um, have identified that the individual may need assistance with. So whether it be, okay, well, their driver's license were suspended. They may need um, the address or whatever forms required to get their license reinstated if they don't have that prior to coming out. Once the community coordinator reviews that information, of course, they will meet with the individual, typically um, after they have intake with their CSO. Um, and sometimes it's before, depending on if they haven't been assigned to CSO yet. And from that point, they will identify whatever resources and linkages um, that individual has expressed that they desire. Um, for example, we always say if an individual has a forklift certification, so to say, so they could have gotten it before they were incarcerated and had employment as a forklift driver, or they may have received it while they were in the Department of Corrections custody. If they make the community coordinator aware, of, hey, I have this forklift certification, and the community coordinator is like, well, I have an employer who is actually hiring for forklift drivers. The community coordinator, they'll make that connection. They'll set up those interviews. Um, they'll put them in contact with the hiring personnel at that respective company and arrange that. They will assist them with the footwork to give them that leg up into trying to gain that employment. Because again, like Reggie stated earlier, community coordinators, they develop those relationships with um, employers within the community. So they know people, they have connections. And so hopefully an individual go have an interview and it, it, it is successful. Um, so that's how our community coordinators get their work. The housing unit, Erin mentioned that earlier, they operate a lot off of the referrals. So that's whether it be our internal DCS housing request form, they look at to identify where those individuals um, need to be placed at housing. We also have a GDC request form. So people who are currently incarcerated and who are past their TPM date, GDC staff, they will submit a um, form for housing requests. We also have accountability courts who are submitting housing request forms. So our housing staff, they receive theirs more through forms and referrals, whereas our community coordinators, they're looking more so at the data um, that is provided to them on a portal basis. All right. Very good. Um, that really helps our listeners understand a lot of where the work is coming from, especially with the referrals. Um, 
What about any, I guess, services provided to our offending population? Is there currently um, any services uh, being provided? Yeah, we, we have tons of services. Currently in our in the portal that, like Mary mentioned earlier, we have over 2,000 resources that are currently available. And um, Michelle did mention that we have 17 community coordinators located throughout 17 circuits. However, all of our work is not limited to those circuits only. We also have statewide services, statewide employers that our um, individuals can take advantage of. One being um, the affordable health care. We actually had all of our community coordinators trained on how to submit referrals for those individuals um, who were considered special enrollment or who are considered eligible during this special enrollment period. So if they're released from any type of correctional um, facility, so rather that be jail, prison, transitional center, or whatever, they're eligible to be enrolled in um, the ACA program. And to date, that being a statewide program, our community coordinators since March have um, completed over 686 of those referrals to our individuals who are under our supervision. So again, making the connection all the way around, we offer statewide resources our and with the ACA referrals, ensuring that healthcare, just like housing is important, making sure that individuals have access to healthcare because health equates to a lot of other things, them showing up for work, them showing up for their visits with their officers. So there are so many resources that we have in our um, toolbox as a division, and that if you don't have a community coordinator, we always encourage officers or um, field staff to reach out to us and inquire because we may have something that benefits your area. Thank you so much, uh, Tam. I really appreciate that. A lot of good, uh, strong information there. Um, just kind of wrapping up here, uh, we want to look, it's always important when we're closing to look to the future. Um, so with that, Renee, I want a chance for you to uh, jump in and hop in the conversation here. Um, help us look to the future. What are some upcoming projects and initiatives that reentry services has planned? We've heard all this, you know, great information, uh, but let's, uh, let's talk about, um, how excited we are for the future of our reentry services division. Thanks, Brian. We are definitely excited about the projects that we have been planning. Um, and it's always exciting, even though I work with this team, just sitting here and listening to all the things that we have going on. It's always very, very inspiring. Um, we are actually planning a reentry series that will actually, we actually have started implementing it. Uh, we'll have series um, discussions throughout the rest of this year and for the upcoming year. Um, so I'll share a few, a few of those things. I won't share everything. I'll give you just a tidbit here or there, um, and you'll just have to stay tuned for what's going to come. All right. Um, <laughs> we've already started with uh, Georgia Justice Project. They have been just a phenomenal partner of ours through the years. They do criminal defense work, but they also have some wraparound services that they offer. And they do a lot of advocacy work, have done quite a bit of work around criminal justice reform. And so, um, you know, if you follow some of the things that have happened legislatively, you'll know that we have a new expungement bill that passed in Georgia. And so that will be one of the things that they will be educating um, our partners, um, our external stakeholders, as well as our internal stakeholders about um, the changes in the expungement law, um, what, uh, who will 
actually meet the criteria for that law. They'll talk some about record restriction and um, other ways to reduce some of the barriers that people are faced when they are re-entering um, society from prison. And so we want to just make sure that our community uh, Community service providers are educated. Officers are welcome to um, dial in and listen in as well so that they can be informed and advise individuals who are on their caseloads as well. Um, they've already done a couple of sessions, and we have actually seven total sessions um, that will conclude at the end of this year. And one of the things we wanted to do is to make sure that the community stakeholders got really excited about the information. Georgia Justice Project always does a fantastic job in explaining what the, what the law is and how it applies and who can take advantage of it. But we wanted to make sure that the community service providers and our officers were really excited about the information because beginning in January of 2021, we're going to offer those same sessions, um, but we're going to offer those for individuals who can actually take advantage of the changes in the law and they'll have opportunities to learn about the changes and then if the the the, the laws actually apply to them then they will have the opportunity to schedule appointments with attorneys at georgia justice project and then they can actually get started with um filling out the paperwork and filing the, the paperwork necessary to actually have their records expunged. And of course, the expungement is just, you know, one of the tools, as Tamara was talking about, one of the tools in the toolbox that will make it easier for those individuals to actually find um, employment. So we'll have those sessions with Georgia Justice Project. We're doing a series on trauma-informed care. We've already done some work with our reentry services division staff um, and collaborated with the counseling unit for that training. We're going to offer additional training that's specifically um, tailored to our community partners and stakeholders, and also we'll offer that to our RPH providers. We are going to do a bit of training around gender responsive care. Um, we're excited about that because we, we generally have not um, focused a whole lot on women just because we have so many more men who are in the system. Um, but we're being quite intentional this time around and focusing on um, how the differences in working with women and what their unique challenges and barriers might be. And then highlighting community partners who have been working with those women and ensuring that they've got the access to the services that they need to be successful. Um, another thing that we are quite excited about is a um, initiative that we have with um, faith-based partners. One of those is Emory University. We have been partnering with them to kind of rethink how we engage the faith community. And so we've been doing some work in DeKalb County, and we will continue to do that work throughout the metro area and think about how we want to um, um, expand that uh, statewide. And when we are having those conversations with the faith-based community, they're 
as always, really excited about the work because as Reggie said, it's a, a, a passion, it's a, a ministry and it's a calling. Um, and so it's exciting for us to learn from them and take the lead from them and allow, um, you just make sure that we are um, in a supportive role and able to just provide them the assistance that, that they need as they are trying to determine how they want to serve their communities. So we're working with Emory and Candler School of the- Theology, which is a seminary at at Emory with the faith-based um, initiative. We also have been just um, fortunate to work with some of the Candler Seminary students there working in one of our sites as mentors and volunteers and actually getting a chance to see what it's like to work um, in a law enforcement setting. And it's a wonderful opportunity for them as they're thinking about vocation and calling. Um, We've got so much going on. (laughs) We're doing some sessions on entrepreneurship. We're highlighting some employment partnerships. We've got um, DCS's own Reginald Hewley, who's gonna do a special session um, for our community service providers on compassion compassion fatigue because as you can imagine it's uh, it can be draining and um, we want to talk about ways to recharge ourselves so that we can be around for the the long term in doing um, this work um, we are also collaborating with some federal partners we've been working with an organization called West Ed. Um, we were able to secure their their services um, through the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. And so they're working with us to think about how we as reentry service providers can um, utilize a strength-based approach along with what we've already been doing as an agency, looking at um, risks, needs, and um, responsivity, but thinking about how a strength-based model would actually um, work along with what we're doing with risks and needs. And so we're collaborating with West Ed as well as the University of Cincinnati in those efforts. Um, we're going to do quite a bit with housing and Aaron and Tammy and the housing team has been working really hard to um, work on some sessions geared toward people who are housing providers or are interested in becoming housing providers, um, as well as um, talking, doing a session on HOPWA, which is housing opportunities for persons with AIDS. Um, Something that we, there was a time when we talked about it quite a bit, but not so much in the, I think maybe the past couple of years, I hadn't heard a whole lot about it. And so I think it's a a great time to bring that conversation back to the the forefront. Um, And, you know, you know, I talked a little bit about the, the fact that we're trying to be um, even more intentional with women. Um, another session that we will offer will be one that focuses on intimate partner violence and what that looks like with justice-involved women. Um, and if you, you know, like me, sometimes you, you see uh, articles about um, domestic violence mm-hmm. and about COVID and how difficult it is when we're all at home together um, and we're you know, kind of on lockdown. And, and so the, the issues with domestic violence have even um, you know, intensified. And so we want to make sure that we're 
offering um, some best practices for service providers so that they're able to recognize when it's happening and they know what to do, where to refer, and just, again, having some more tools that we can um, offer our service providers. And so we'll do the, the service providers sessions. We'll have sessions that are available for DCS staff. We'll have a mixture that we also have things that are available for um, the officers who are interested in learning more about what we do and more about the resources that are available in the community. But we also want to make sure that we are offering sessions that um, are impacting, you know, people who are on the caseloads and that we are called and have been hired by the state of, of Georgia to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll, we'll have some sessions on advocacy training and financial planning. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about employment, but we also want to think about um, careers and how higher um, education. Um, so not just what you need to do in order to survive, but we want to think about how we can be that support and encouragement and, and, and that people know that they they can actually thrive. And so what does it look like to um, walk alongside them um, as their, um, you know, the, the goal is that they actually flourish. And so um, we're quite excited about it. Um, we've got a lot more that's going on. So, um, you know, everybody just kind of keep their eyes open and, um, we're just excited about just the the opportunity to be a part of um, what's happening at DCS and what's happening in our community. Absolutely. Um, you know, we started off uh, with the podcast saying that, you know, the work that you all is doing is incredible. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's life changing. And it's because of inf- the information that each one of you um have just shared and the things that uh, renee you just mentioned that we uh have to look forward to um is absolutely uh life-changing and that speaks to the core of what we do that's and that's making a difference so um with that i know our time has been well spent um michelle if you could just kind of have any parting words for us and if anybody else has any uh parting words for us uh feel free Again, thank each of you for your contribution to this conversation, uh, for all the valuable information that you've shared for our listeners. And um, with that, I'll just give it over to anyone who uh, has any parting words. Michelle? Thank you, Brian. Um, It's been a pleasure and an honor, just as Renee said, you know, we we are in touch with everything we do every day, but just to sit and hear it all being communicated today just makes me feel very proud um, to be a part of this team. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't just first say thank you um, to all those that serve in the reentry services division, because everyone works very hard to ensure that we have what's needed to serve the population that we've been tasked with serving. The support that we get from our leadership at DCS allows us to work um, very independently. Um, they see the vision we have, and they've always been very supportive. And and. Reggie said it best when he said the work that we do and the individuals that work in reentry services is a ministry and you have a passion. We do this work not for the thank yous. We don't do the work for, you know, what's to come next or the accomplishments that have been had. We do the work because we want to make a difference for those that need it most. And that's the population that we serve. So I'm so thankful to work with an awesome and amazing team, not just those that's on the call with us today, but everyone that works and support reentry services. So thank you 
um, for giving us an opportunity and a platform to share with everyone the awesome and amazing work that we do every day. And we look forward to continue to serve the agency's mission um, and to serve those that need reentry services and to reduce those barriers that they have been met with. So thank you to you and your team for allowing us to have this opportunity. No problem. Um, thank you. And to our listeners, uh, thank you. Um, I hope this was uh, very uh, productive and enjoyable for you. Um, and be on the lookout for our next podcast session. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor, and generally wherever you can get uh, your podcast content. Until then, thank you um, uh, for listening. This has been another episode of the DCS One Community Podcast.